your name would be glorified and honored. So God, if it pleases you today to use this bag of dust, use us until you've used us up, Father God. Let us do no hurt, harm, or danger to the text, but let us preach free, simple, clear, and true. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us. And so, God, we come to hear your gospel to encourage us that we may know that we can be better today than we were on yesterday. God, we love you. And so, God, I ask you right now to allow the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in thy sight, God, for you are my strength and you are my redeemer. And God, my testimony has always been and will always be that my Redeemer does live, for he lives in my heart. He lives in my being. God, we thank you. And as always, Master, we ask you now to open thy mine eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. And all of God's children said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. We have, we have, we have come. Let them in, please. And ushers, once they've come in, please readjust yourselves. We thank you for your ministry and your work. My confession this morning to you is a confession of faith and I believe that I've got to stand here in order for us, in order for me, to be able to deliver God's word free, simply, and true, or simple and true, shall I say. My confession is this. I'm not moved by what I see or by what I feel. I'm moved by what I believe, and I believe that the word of God is true, that victory is mine. I have it now. I can see it through my eyes of faith. That's my confession to you today, beloved. And I believe that we can stand on that. I, be, I believe God blesses us. Uh, need to do something the next two Sundays, if uh, you would allow me to be so rambunctious to try. Uh, I, for this the summer uh, and going into July, I want to close out John, the 21st chapter, and my next two sermons will be about John, the 21st chapter. It'll be about coming back. How do we come back from personal failure? How do we come back from personal disappointments? How, do, how are we restored when things don't go our way and others see us in a different light? And, and so I'm, I'm going to kind of walk through this text and so for those of you who have your Bibles and you want to follow me and keep me, you can turn to John 21 and we'll be in there for the next two weeks. Is that all right? I, I believe, I, I believe, and I, I believe the statement that I make right now, without the fear of contradiction, I believe it's the true statement and it applies to all of us. Here's my statement. Every one of us has done something or said something that disappointed someone who believed in us. If we get honest, 
our answer has to be yes to that statement. That at some point, somewhere in our lives, we've done something not only to disappoint someone else, we've done some things that we disappointed ourselves. Perhaps you made a promise, said you were going to be somewhere, but when the time came for you to be there, you weren't there. Or maybe you said you can count on me. And so people did, only to discover that while they was counting on you, you failed to live up to expectations. Or maybe... Just maybe you said something to somebody you knew you wasn't capable of doing. And they took it to be the truth only to discover that you lied about the situation. Maybe, just maybe, I don't know. Maybe you took a vow, you took an oath, you, you said you were going to do something and, and you foolishly promised even to your children, that you were going to do something, and when it came time to produce, you were not able. Matter of fact, perhaps you might even feel guilty right now about not keeping some promises that you have made. And, 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 and some of you may even be haunted by broken promises. This is an experience that is all too common because... We all have been disappointed, and we all have disappointed. We've all failed to live up to the agreement that we had with someone else and often with ourselves. Beloved, if I get real honest with you tonight or this afternoon, disappointment is a two-way street. It goes in both directions. One observation will help us focus on this thought. The more we care about somebody, the greater we will be, the disappointment will be when we fail to live up to our obligation. Y'all miss me, y'all miss me. See, it's, it's, when you say you love somebody, you committed to somebody, and you can't live up to that commitment, greater is the disappointment. Now, beloved, if you don't care about folks, it doesn't matter. You just lie to them and keep on moving. But if you truly love someone, the thought that you have disappointed them hurts somewhat unbearably. It matter of fact, it, it, it hurts deep down in the bone. It causes you. you. You know what's amazing to me? A lot of times when you disappoint somebody, and they're looking at you, and you, you, you describe. My mama used to say this to me while she was actually chastising me. She would say, this is hurting me. Y'all got the same mama I had. I couldn't understand that. I'm the one that's crying. I'm the one that's hollering, oochie, ouchie. I'm the one that's trying to protect myself. Oh, Y'all don't understand. But the reason she said it hurt her as much as it hurts me 
was because she was disappointed that she actually had to discipline me. She was disappointed that I didn't live up to her expectations. Such, I believe, we find in this Gospel of John in this 21st chapter. As we, as we begin to embark upon our lesson, we find this cat called Peter being brought down by a teenage girl. We find this, this guy, Peter, is being toppled back to the ground by a teenage girl. And I believe, I, I, I believe Peter was thoroughly disappointed after the resurrection of Jesus, who is our Christ. Because he couldn't help but remember his own failure. He couldn't help but remember out of his own mind the very moment, the very personal moment, the very personal crisis, the very difficult situation when he denied the Lord. He did not only deny him once, he did not only deny him twice, but three times he denied his Lord and Savior. He did it only hours after he was bragging openly that he would be faithful to Jesus in, in, in every kind of way. If everybody else leaves, if everybody else runs away, I'm going to be right here. I'm your ride or die guy, Jesus. I'm here. If everybody else turns their back, you can count on me. Oh, oh, beloved, but how does the mighty fall? After bragging about he was going to be strong, one moment he's bold, he's arrogant, he's self-assured, but a few hours later, a teenage girl brings him down under the pressure. As a matter of fact, brothers and sisters, sometimes we get pressure because we're standing in the wrong crowd. Under the pressure, this bold apostle turned to butter. His legs begin to wobble. Are you one of the men who, was, who were with Jesus? Listen to his response. Jesus, I don't know that man, in the distance, way back where he could just hear him, a rooster crow. Moments later, Jesus was brought out from the trial before the high priest Caiaphas. Luke twenty-two sixty-one 61 says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Only a look. It was only the look. Jesus said nothing, but he only looked at Peter. And quickly, Peter's mind ran to the fact that he said, God, I'll never, I'll never leave you. I'm with you. But it runs to the mindset, I have disappointed, I have lied, I have become a coward, and I have turned my back. That's what, that's when the full, you know, sometimes we don't really get the impact of our sin until it affects somebody else. Yeah. 
And actually, it's not until it affects somebody else we love. Oh, I wish I had somebody. Realizing what he had done, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Two days later, Jesus rose from the dead. When the women arrived at the tomb and the angel announced the good news and it instructed them to go tell his disciples. Here's what I love about Jesus. Matter of fact, even when you've let him down, even when you've not done what you said you were going to do, even when you turned your back to him, he said, listen, go tell my disciples to meet me in the upper room. And oh, by the way, don't you forget Peter. Make sure Peter knows he's welcome. Oh, that's good news. Even after you've disappointed Jesus, you're welcome. Even after you've not done what you said you were going to do, you're welcome. Peter's denial, had, he had separated himself from the other disciples. No doubt he wanted to be by himself. No, 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 it's no doubt in my mind that he wanted, what's my status with Jesus? The question had to come across his mind, am I a traitor? Am I still a disciple? Whenever you deny Christ by word or by deed, we lose three valuable things. Number one, when we deny Jesus by word or deed, first of all, we lose our joy. Don't you hear David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation? You can't, when you've not done what you're supposed to do, it's hard to come to church and celebrate. When you've not been all that God has told you to be and you said you were going to follow after him, it's hard to come in and throw up your hands and shout about the goodness of God. Secondly, I, I need to be real clear. We lose our assurance. Did y'all get that? But we don't lose our salvation. Oh, y'all need to walk with me here. Y'all, somebody ought to be glad about that. And the reason you lose your assurance is because you're not sure where you stand. God hadn't moved. God hadn't gone anywhere. God still says you're welcome. He still said come back. But, but you know how it is when you disappointed somebody, you, you don't just want to walk in the room boldly. You walk in timidly. You walk in meek and humble. We lose our assurance. But when you know that 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 you're all right with Jesus and everything is all right with you, you don't mind standing on your feet. You don't mind clapping your hands. You don't mind shouting hallelujah to the Lamb of God for all is well with my soul. Thirdly, thirdly, we lose our boldness. We can't talk like God's been good to us. We don't talk about, look where God has brought me from. Or if I was in a sanctified church, two or three people would testify if it had not been for God. I'm not ashamed to tell you where I have been for where I have been does not line up with where I'm going. Beloved, Peter lost all three. He had no joy. 
He had no assurance. And beloved, he had no boldness. Notice something. As long as he thought he was all right with God, he could cut a man's ear off. But as soon as the rooster crowed, as soon as the rooster crowed, he lost his boldness. Here's a, here is a passage that speaks to anyone who has failed the Lord and wants to make things right. This is the story of Christ's restoration, 101. The apostle had prepared, had been prepared, and is being prepared. Him, God has prepared him, has developed him for great works, even after his failure. Well, how can you say that, Lewis? What makes it? I believe the text gives me the ability to say that. Because if you look at John verses 1 through 14, and I'm not going to have you read that today because that's too much reading, but I want you to look at that. But here's what I want to tell you. Whenever you come to God, whatever your failure has been, God's going to give you new power. God's, you're not going to have to operate in your old power. God's going to give you new power. It's, it's, it's evening on the Sea of Galilee. Not long after the resurrection, the disciples had gone back to their home region. It didn't make much sense to stay in Jerusalem. He's dead. With all the controversy and confusion surrounding the death of Jesus, they knew he had risen from the dead, but they didn't know when they would see him again. Ah, went home, they went back to familiar territory. Peter, <laughs> can you give me John 21 verse 3, please? Peter and six other cats said, you know what we're going to do? We're going fishing. We're going back to what we know. We're hanging out back where we were. See, all it takes is one person to influence you to go back. Oh, I need somebody here. I need somebody right here. All it takes is just one person to stop you from going where you need to go and encourage you to go back. But can you do me a, fi uh, do me a favor? Give yourself a high five and declare, I will not turn back. I won't go back. No matter what. Come on, read, man. Simon Peter said to them, What did he say? I'm going fishing. Yeah. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Can I help you right here? You better be careful who you're riding with. You better be careful what cars you're getting in. You better be careful what cruise you're going on. You better be careful how you're hanging out. See, some folks will take you and want you to go back. Because you know when you get out on the water, Everybody on the cruise ain't saved. There's some gambling going on on the cruise. There's some drinking going on in the cruise. And if you're with the wrong crowd, oh, help me somebody. You can have your shirt, T-shirt on. Your church shirt, T-shirt on. Oh, I wish I had somebody. 
the text tells me that the seven of these men fished all night long. Can, can I help you right here? You can play one, one of the machines all night and never hit and get frustrated and a heathen walks in and put it in a quarter. Uh, Y'all ain't tired. Y'all ain't tired. Y'all ain't But in the morning, somebody holler in the morning. In the morning when the sun came up, they had caught nothing and they noticed a man on the seashore. And he asked them a simple question. Have you caught anything? Have you won? Did your numbers hit? When, the reply, when they replied in the negative, he makes a suggestion to them. Cash your nets on the other side of the boat. And of course, when they did what he said, they caught fish. They caught so many fish that they couldn't even haul them in the nets. At that moment, John realizes that the man on the shore is Jesus. Y'all know Peter. Y'all know him. He's impossible. Y'all know him, he likes to respond immediately without thinking. The Bible says he didn't even have no clothes on, and he just jumped in the water, swimming towards the shore. Naked as a jaybird, swimming towards Jesus. But beloved, that's how we have to come to Jesus. Completely exposed. We have to come to him honest, clear, and true. When, 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 when the nets had been finally pulled in, the men discovered that they had caught 153 fish. Meanwhile, you fishing, Jesus has already prepared breakfast. You laboring, the, the job is already done. <laughs> Isn't it just like Jesus sees you hungry, struggling, and he invites you to come to breakfast? Come on. Who could refuse such an invitation? So what does he give them? He had bread and fish, and the disciples ate together with their risen Lord. But what I want to tell you this morning is this. Even at that breakfast, everything is sacred. If you say today, everything you do becomes sacred. This wonderful story teaches us many things. We learn from it that once Christ calls a man, he can never go back to being what he was before. A fisherman can follow Christ, but he can never be a fisherman again. A lawyer can follow Christ, but he can never go back to being just a plain lawyer. A professor can follow Christ, but she can never go back to being just a professional. A professor. A doctor can follow Christ, but he or she can never go back to being a simple doctor. A businessman can follow Christ, but he can never go back to doing business as usual. He or she will never be satisfied, never be fulfilled, never deeply content once you go back to what you were, once you've met 
of had an encounter with our Christ. Once you sign up for the Lord's army, you'll never be happy anywhere else. I'm not suggesting that Peters and the others were wrong for going fishing. Matter of fact, some of us would have joined them. After all, fishing was what they had been trained to do. But our Lord now transforms the ordinary and raises the mundane to the level of sacred. Fishing is a sacred act when it involves Jesus. The same is true for teaching, farming, buying, selling, investing, building, and anything else you may do to earn your, our bread, our livelihood, or and provide for our families. Once Jesus comes into our life, all of that changes. It becomes a different kind of avenue that we approach in life. Once Jesus enters the picture, everything, everything, and I do mean everything, changes. The reason some of us can't move, because we don't want everything to change. There are some areas where we don't want God to operate in our lives. Martin Luther points out, a dairy maiden can steal milk cows but she gives glory to God. Beloved, when you get your paycheck on Friday, it's not because you did such a good job. It's because God kept you there. Because somebody else got a pink slip. But, but, but here's the question that you ought to ask yourself. If they saw the man on the shore, why didn't they immediately recognize that it was Jesus? It seems that after the resurrection, the Lord had the ability to disguise or shield his identity from others. Is not that what he did to the two disciples on the Emmaus road? Matter of fact, that's what Luke tells us in Luke 24. He does it again in this passage. I believe Christ was teaching the disciples not to depend on the physical presence of him. They needed to learn that even though he would soon return to heaven, he was not leaving them alone, and nor would he ever forsake them. Isn't it good to have lunch with Jesus? To be reassured, to know that he'd never leave you nor forsake you. I'm sure if all of us wonder what it would be like to see Jesus face to face. I haven't thought about that on my own. It would be nice to have lunch with Jesus where I could listen to his voice. I could ask him questions. I could get guidance for my life. What if Jesus were to attend our worship service this morning? If we recognize him, we would all fall down in adoration before him. And then we would flood him with all our problems, all of our situations, only to discover they just vanished. In a moment, in a second, in the twinkling of an eye, 
They just want to wave. But that line of thinking is not biblical. There is nothing Jesus could do in person he can't do for you right now. Right now because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven making intercessions for us. There is no distance, not his physical presence. That makes a difference. The slightest bit of difference in what God can do for you right now. He is always with us. This story is meant to remind us that Christ is with us whether we see him or not. Whether we feel his presence or not. Whether we hear his voice or whether we don't. You can always depend on these words. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. But if Christ was watching the disciples from the shore that night, if, if Christ watched us fish all night, don't you think he should have said something? You've gone through whatever situation you've been going through and he just allowed you to go through. Don't you think he ought to say something? Don't you think he ought to get involved? Why would Christ allow these men to toil in frustration? Second statement I'm going to make without the fear of contradiction is this. You've all been frustrated either by your personal relationship, your professional relationship, but there is something that has caused you frustration. And if I got any parents in this room whose children are older than 24 hours, you've had frustration. The answer to our question is simply this. The answer that we must understand is that God allows us to fail in order for us to learn how to depend. Failure in this case was necessary. It was a prerequisite for eventually coming to success. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been to school, but you've had to repeat more than one class. Some of you repeated the class because you didn't get the grades you thought you should have gotten. Some of you repeated the class because you got one of those little things that didn't look, it was a flag. I'm just saying. Some of you, rather than getting a flag, you took an I. Some of y'all got some W's because you withdrew. The truth of the matter, some of you have withdrawn from life. Because your situations have been so, so toxic to you, have been so hard for you, you've withdrawn. Some of you have been frustrated because you knew what a fish was, but the fish wasn't biting. You went back to the place where you've been successful all before. Every time you, this was your favorite fishing hole. This is where you've always had success, only to discover another failure. The Lord allows us to fail 
because spelling builds our character and our strength. We learn so much when we fail. This means that Christ is with us even when we fail. It is then that we hear his voice saying to us, I've got a better way. I've got a new way. There's another way to think about the way you're doing what you're doing. Beloved, when they heard, y'all need to get this. Chris, you got to get this. You got to get this. When they heard, y'all missed me because y'all wasn't listening to me. When they heard, what did they do when they heard? They stopped fishing on the left side and start fishing on the right side. When, when you hear, you ought to obey. Y'all remember my mama, I was just got through talking about my mama, and, and my mama would say something to me like this. She would say, boy, did you hear me? She understood that the sound reverberated through my ear passage and bounced off my eardrum and sent a message through my brain. But she was trying to see if I really understood the underlying meaning of what she said. And if I stood, understood it, then I ought to be busy doing exactly what she told me to do. I wasn't deviating. I was doing exactly. Ah, I wish I had two or three people in this house. See, when you hear the voice of God, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and a stranger they will not obey implying that you will obey what I said, whether you like it or not. Whether it makes you feel good or not. This is how God works with us all. He lets us fail on our own so that we may later give, give success and give him glory for all that we achieve. At the beginning of his ministry, Christ called his disciples to be fishers of men. Now he's teaching them that even though he will soon be leaving them physically, he will be with them spiritually as they preach the gospel to all nations. Can you do me a favor somewhere in your notes? I don't even know if you're taking notes, but remember this. If God sends you, there will be a great harvest wherever you go. If God sends you, that will be a great harvest wherever you go. If you're not experiencing harvest, you're not experiencing it because of your disobedience. See, just because you went where God told you to go don't mean you're doing what God told you to do. The proof of the matter is, this cat Peter just denied Christ three times, 40 some odd days later, guess what he does? He preaches and 5,000 men get saved. And not only that, do you not realize Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost is still saved? Oh, what harvest? You say because Peter preached. You're saved because Peter obeyed. 
You're saved because the gospel declared. He said, fellas, you do remember that same Jesus now that you crucified. Not only, not, 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 not only, not only, not only, not only, not only would he give you power, new power. He'll give you new ministry. Y'all miss me. He'll give you new ministry. Beloved, you got to move out of where you've been. You got to stop hanging on talking about what you used to do. What worked in 1955 ain't going to work today. Oh, I wish I had somebody in here. Christ gives us new ministry. Verses 15, 16, and 17 shares us after breakfast was over, Peter and Jesus take the walk. This is probably the, the, the part of the story most of us know the best. When he had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Several questions come to mind as we read this passage. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times the same old dumb question, do you love me? Answer, <laughs> because Peter denied him three times. Why did he do it in public? Because Peter denied him in public. The man who had been so boastful, so self-sure of himself, so confident of his own courage, is now thirdly humble. Jesus' first question, do you love me, more than these, was a subtle question, reminder of his previous boast to be more loyal than the other disciples. In reply, Peter declares his love for Christ, but he wisely refuses to compare his love with anyone else's love. As painful as this was, it was absolutely necessary. Jesus, I asked the brothers on yesterday, and, and I said with them, see, when you go to have surgery, surgery is not painful. Because they've given you they've given you some of that medicine where you like to sleep. It's not painful. When they cut into you and pull back the layers of skin, you feel no pain. The problem is with your recovery. When you begin to heal, pain comes in the healing. Pain comes after the wound has to go back to its natural position. It was painful for Peter to have to be, be healed with such an open display. What he's doing, though, here's, here's what the surgery does. The surgery gets rid of all the things that's causing you a problem. It gets rid of the cancer. It gets rid of the tumor. It gets rid of all the things that's causing you pain and not allowing you to operate 
the way you want to operate. But the problem is, once they eradicate that, you've got to heal properly. And so in that process, it begins to be painful. But thank God for the pain. Because once the pain is gone, somebody holler, thank God I'm healed. Once the shame is gone, Peter can declare the gospel of Jesus, who is our Christ. Beloved, Christ couldn't have done it any other way. Beloved, once you've hurt someone that you love, and you've hurt that person before the, the world and everybody sees the damage you've done to that person, the healing has to take place publicly. The true commitment has to be displayed publicly. The person you hurt has to be able to look in your eyes and see the anguish and the, the pain that you're experiencing because you've let them down. How often have you seen people that have hurt folks and you looked at them and said, you don't even look like you care. But beloved, you know what I know? Once you've hurt somebody you love, it's hard to look them face to face. It's hard to look at them eyeball to eyeball and ask to be forgiven. We try to beat around the bush. We try to come up with all reasons why we don't have to say, I'm sorry. But then you gotta, you gotta face the hard, the hard question. If you love me so much, how could you do this to me? If you love me, what the Sam Bradley was you thinking? If you love me, how is it now am I to trust you ever again? But the questions must be asked, and the answer must be given. And they may have to be repeated over and over again that that person is reassured that you mean what you say. Beloved, because at some point, we have to realize the enormity of the sin or the hurt we caused the other person. Peter had to see the full-blown pain that he caused Jesus by his denying. Only then can truly restorate, true restoration can be brought forth. Without the pain, he would not get better. My late pastor, the Reverend Dr. J.L. Davenport, shared this thought with me when I was at a very low point in my life. Here's what he said. If God is going to use you greatly, if God is going to use you greatly, then you're going to have to suffer greatly. Others heard it said this way, the truth shall set you free, but it's going to hurt. 
One of the reasons we don't get better is because we don't want to face the hard truth about what we have said and what we've done. But until we face the truth about ourselves, we can never be free. This passage also reminds us that love is the foundation of all Christian ministry. First, first we love Christ, then we serve his flock. First, love, then serve. It is never the other way around. We first must love Christ, then we must serve. But let me tell you this clearly, brothers and sisters. If you love Christ, you will serve. You can't tell me you love him without serving him. And you can't serve him without loving him. And service never comes first. When Christ asked the question the third time, Peter's heart is grieved. And he blurts out, Lord, you know all things. With those words, Peter renounces all of his self-confidence. Only the, that the faithful, on that faithful night in the upper room, he thought he knew himself, but he didn't. Beloved, I want to challenge you today. A lot of us didn't say we love God, but we serve him because we think we know ourselves. We think we know what's the best way to serve God. We're doing it our way. But beloved, there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to serve God, and that's according to how he's prescribed. Not according to how you want to do it. Oh, and let me help you here. Being inconvenienced doesn't bother him. Because I believe the cross was a little more than an inconvenience. But love it. This is a hard statement, but I got to make it. I believe it's true. It, it was true for me. We got to stop trusting our own heart. The Bible says, me, not that I own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. He directs your path. But when you're busy thinking about, well, I got five senses. God gave me five senses. I know what I got to do. I know how much gas I got to the car. I know how much money I have. I know what I got to do. I know what I got to do tomorrow. Then you'll never serve God. My trust, my trust is in Christ and Christ alone. But, beloved, sometimes we got to hit the bottom. We got to hit it hard before we can say these words. Have you ever had surgery and you wanted to ask this question, did it work? Did they get everything? They, it couldn't, I'm hurting so, I'm, I'm hurting more now after the surgery than I was before I went to surgery. What did they do? Did they leave some instruments in me that there's something not right? I need to go back to the doctor. But my answer to you, beloved, when surgery has been done properly, it will be painful. But here's what I know. Recovery takes time. But beloved, guess what? If I understand the Bible correctly, Peter never denied Christ again. See, once you've had surgery, it's amazing to me, folks that have cancer, they, they'll go in and remove the lung or whatever they're doing, and right before they get out the hospital, they got an oxygen take on their nose 
and a cigarette in their hand. Doesn't make sense to me. The old Peter was gone and gone forever. A new man was born that day when Jesus restored his fallen disciples. Beloved, I'm in the room of a bunch of fallen disciples. I'm in the presence of a bunch of fallen disciples. But the problem is, y'all keep going back to your old behavior. Rather than giving God glory, well, I'm going to move. Thirdly, here's what I want to share with you. I got to go to my seat. I got to let you go home. Here's what he said. You got to make a new sacrifice. Verses 18 through 22, Jesus is not yet through with Peter. He has more to say. Listen to what he says. Can you put that up? Go ahead, read it. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you, were dressed, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Come on. Jesus says this to Peter to indicate what kind of death Peter was going to die. He's saying to Peter, if you follow me, your death will give me glory. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked the question, Lord, what about him? You remember the sermon we talked about past, just a couple of weeks ago about passing the buck? Lord, what about him? But notice what Jesus said. You with us? If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Stop trying to figure out what's going on with everybody else. Do your job. Stop trying to figure out why God's blessing somebody else. You follow me. And wherever you follow me, I'm blessing you right where you are. It does not matter what I'm doing for somebody else. You just be satisfied with what I'm doing for you. Praise me for, for what I'm doing for you right now. Because here's the thing that you don't know. You don't know what that other person had to go through to get what they... Ah, shucks. Early church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome because he said that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Isn't it remarkable that Jesus skipped the rest of Peter's life and concentrates only on how he would die? Although he failed in the past. Can I say this this way? It's not how you begin. But it's all going to depend on how you end. In the end, he will give glory to God. Can you do me a favor and just 
Just because you're sitting close to somebody, touch them real good. Say you started, you didn't start off good. But I'm waiting to see how you end. I need to see how you're going to run this race. I need to see how you're going to have patience. I need to see how you're going to love. I need to see how you're going to forgive. I need to see how you're going to restore those that despitefully use you. I know you were talking big in the beginning, but I need to see how you're running. A holy death is a worthy goal for all the saints of God. The psalmist says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his sight. And when Peter asked about John's fate, Jesus just kind of brushed him off with a mild rebuke. Don't you worry about it. God deals with us as individuals. Aren't you glad about it? That, that even though we come to worship together, God blesses you one by one. Beloved, I need to say this to some of you parents that have multiple children. Some of you that are dealing with grandchildren. Here's what God is saying to Peter. That he's not obligated to put you through the same trial that someone else went through. Whether it be greater or lesser, he's not obligated God is saying to you, just because I bless him, doesn't mean I got to bless you. And just because I bless you, doesn't mean I got to bless him. Our only business is to make sure, I'm going to say that again, our only business is to make sure we are following Jesus and we're following him closely. If we do that, we don't have the time to... I, if you're following Jesus, you ain't got time to worry about somebody else. You ain't got time to be worried about how he's treating me, how he's treating them. You, you're just satisfied with what God is doing in your life. What is that to you is the question that Jesus asked him. You follow me. Stop trying to figure out how come God blessed this church, that church, this person, that person. You follow Christ. That verse sets him free. I believe that verse will set you free. I believe, beloved, if we would just follow Christ and stop looking to our left and to our right, wondering why this person or that person is getting this or that, then we could follow Christ a whole lot better. And we will be set free. We'll be, we'll be set free from turning to bitterness and to leave our formal friends in the hands of God. There is a wealth of wisdom here that many of us need to learn. Beloved, as I get ready to go to my seat, I want to share with you this afternoon about a sovereign bullet. In the end, it is good for us not to know our future. Because if you really knew what tomorrow held, you may not want to get out of bed to go to tomorrow. Our only task it's to follow the Lord each and every day, taking one step at a time as he leads us. Dr. Ray Pritchard tells of a funeral service held for 
Ronnie and Charity Boa at the Calvary Church in Fruit Point, Michigan. Where in the world is Fruit Point? You don't know neither? Okay. 1,300 people attended the funeral. It was televised by every major news network in Michigan. There, Dr. Pitcher said a taped message of Elizabeth Elliott, whose husband Jim was killed by the Acre tribe in Ecuador in 1956. Stephen Saint, one of the sons of the other missionaries killed in 1956, spoke in person. Eventually, Jim Brewer, Brewer I'm sorry, gave his first public comment since the plane crash. After thinking of thanking a number of people, he made this remarkable statement. Most of all, I want to thank God. He's a sovereign God. We're finding that out more and more. Now, some of you may say, some of you might even ask, why thank God? Of course, now after hearing some of the people speak that night, you're realizing why. Just maybe. Could this really be God's plan for Ronnie and Charity? God's plan for Corey and me and our family? I'd like to tell you why I believe so. Why I'm coming to believe so. Here's a list of reasons. Here's a list that may include many reasons Dr. Pitchers went on to say. Both were struck by one in particular moment. His wife and daughter was killed by the same bullet. Stop and think about that for a moment. What are the chances, humanly speaking, that a bullet could be fired from a speeding jet, passed through the fuselage of this missionary's airplane, hit Ronnie Brewer in the back and go through her heart and then end up in the head of the baby she was holding in her lap. Mind you, this is her husband speaking. The best marksman in the world could never make that shot on purpose. It is to be more, it is more than a chance. Dr. Pritchard went on to say, went on that, went on to say that on that Friday night that Jim Brewer went on to call the bullet a sovereign bullet. What an amazing thing to say, a sovereign bullet, meaning that God was there. He wasn't absent. He knew everything that was happening. He could have intervened in a thousand different ways to stop the bullet from hitting Ronnie and Charity, but he didn't. Only a man of biblical faith could have called it a sovereign bullet. Why did it happen? The full explanation is hidden in the heart and the mind of God, Mr. Brewer went on to say. But Jim Brewer said he believed God allowed the tragedy to wake up a sleeping church. I think he also wanted to wake up sleeping Christians, including myself, and maybe, most of all, to wake up those who have no interest in God. I say to you today, wake up. And as the young people say, stay woke. It will be worth 
it all. You can confine the complete details about this tragedy, including the full transcript of Jim Brewer's remarks at the ABW. It should be up if you can find that, those remarks. In her speech about her spiritual journey over the, over the years and concluded with the story of how she was unable to have children for her, her own, despite repeated attempts. That's why Jim adopted Corey, who was in the plane with them but was not hurt. She concluded this, these moving words in a moment that seems strangely prophetic. Now I chose to trust God fully. He is in control. He knows what's best. He doesn't owe me anything. Rather, I owe him everything. When we as believers get to heaven, we won't have to ask why. It will be worth it all. End quote. So it has come to pass as the Lord has ordained through her death. Ronnie Brewer has touched people around the world. Far more, far more than she would had she lived or had she survived the plane crash. And Jim Brewer is right. Through this tragedy, God has spoken to multitudes of people, believers and unbelievers alike. From one generation to the next. Beloved, that brings me back to my text. If the Lord should say, do you love me? What would your answer be? In truth, the answer is not what you say, but the answer is how you live. Your love for Jesus can only be shown when you gladly follow his steps wherever he leads. In the Coast Guard, when there is someone to be rescued at sea, the sailors are taught. You have to go, but you don't have to come back. As the sad events of that week has been made clear, when Christ calls, we all have to go but we don't have to come back. My, may God's grace, may God continuously give us grace, may God grant us grace that we would love Jesus so much that when he calls, we will follow him. Understanding when we follow, we don't have to come back. This world is not my home. I'm just a pilgrim passing on through. My hope and all of my treasures are all laid up on high. When Jesus calls, we must come, but we may not all come back. A sovereign bullet that took the life of a man's wife and his daughter while they were doing missionary work. My question to you, can that bullet move through your heart 
that you will respond by saying, Lord, here am I. Use me. God has spoken. Let the church say, Amen.